Welcome to Finely Tuned. In each episode here, we're speaking with people who care about our built environment. This podcast is built by Gridium. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this conversation with Fred Gordy, Director of Cybersecurity, Building and Facility Control Systems at Intelligent Buildings. He is responsible for the technology strategy and cybersecurity for control systems, and his project portfolio includes military bases, internet data centers, REITs, and national retail chains. My name is Millen, and I'm with Gridium. Buildings use our software to fine-tune operations. Fred and I will discuss the growth in BMS hacking attacks and the NIST-based framework for assessment and defense that Intelligent Buildings has developed. This should be a popular conversation given the interest building operators have in maintaining safe and secure building systems. And it's a special pleasure to have Fred back on the podcast, our first repeat guest. Thank you, Millen. I really appreciate you inviting me back. It was a, uh, it was my pleasure to do it last time. And again, uh, you know, I I'm, uh, was looking forward to this opportunity to kind of catch up and let you know how the world has uh, changed quite a bit since the last mm-hmm. time we talked. It's gotten a little bit more violent. Let's start with a quick story. Tell us about the growth in BMS hacks since last we spoke, which was in November 2016, in our Is Hacking a BMS Easy conversation. Wow. You know, the thing is, I noticed that the other day that the last time we spoke was in 2016. And uh, it's really funny because at that point in time, the growth of uh, cybersecurity in, in building control systems was stagnant at best. The, the, but what, what we've seen is since that time that you and I had the uh, conversation that we did, we've seen, seen a huge spike in the number of uh, attacks on control systems. In fact, it's, it's over 400% increase since 2017, because during 2016, there were really no recorded uh, events. Now, working in the uh, intelli- working in intelligent buildings and going out and doing assessments all around the uh, United States, Canada, and I just got back from Australia. Um, what I'm seeing is these attacks are happening. They're happening almost on a weekly basis. The thing is, it's interesting. You know, when you see a uh, or hear about a um, a credit card breach or a data breach, mm-hmm. that that information has to be shared. In other words, there's government regulations around that, that, that that information has to be shared. A building control system, as long as it doesn't affect personal data, does not have to be shared. So therefore, the general public doesn't hear about all the attacks. Well, and for our audience that missed it the last time we chatted, can you share some more details about what happened with the target payment hack and what their response should have been? Sure. Uh, you know, one of the things that I preach over and over is is having a, a really good instant response plan. And what an instant response plan is, is um, it's a lot of things more than just, uh, you know, OK, let's get in here and and get the bad guys out of the systems. It also is about how to respond to the public. And in the case of Target, there's a company by the name of Fazio Mechanical. Fazio Mechanical, uh, I used to work for a mechanical contractor, and we would go just like these people, and they would go and do their work orders. In this case, it was Target. So they would, um, their guys would go do the work order, bring it back, and the admins would plug that information into uh, 
a portal which they had access to into the target system. Well, the thing is, everybody still to this day thinks that the um, the hack came through the HVAC system because that was the first thing that was said. But one of the things about an instant response plan, it teach it has a well thought out in advance plan of how to respond and how to react to these things. Had Fazio and even Target had a, um, a you know well thought out instant response plan, they could have answered some of the um, the 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 fodder that was hitting the the way airwaves, if you will. And they could have curtailed at least some of the uh, brand damage and damage control. So in the case of Fazio, Fazio, um, I know a gentleman in the the area up where Fazio does business, and they are a supplier to Fazio. Well, he told me that their business, and I'm not going to quote the percentage, but let's just say it's um, it's falling off dramatically. And why is that? That's because the people that were doing business with them now see Fazio Mechanical as a, um, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to do business with them because they're the reason that Target got hacked. Now, Target, on the other hand, was quiet for days. Um, I would like to point out at this point how to, you know, show the difference between a really good incident response plan and one that's not so much is... Okay. <clears throat> Most of the people here probably are not going to remember this, but the Anthem breach. Do you remember that? No, sir. What was that? <laughs> okay. Sounds familiar. Yeah. So not long after the Target breach, Anthem, who is the parent, I believe the parent company for Blue Cross Blue Shield, got hit with a, uh, and got, I can't remember how many hundreds of thousands of records, patient patient information came out of there. Oh, yeah. But you remember that? Coming back well, to me. Yeah. Well, the reason it's coming back, or the reason it's not to the in the forefront of your mind is because what really impressed me about the CEO of, of Anthem was he had a response ready to go within 12 hours. And he blasted it out to all the media and to all the subscribers and everybody got a, um, a response, whereas Target kind of sat back and held everything close to the vest. Well, that's why you remember Target and that's why you don't remember Anthem. Does that make sense? Yes. And I hesitate to belabor the point, but this can all be very serious, including examples of some of the most sophisticated software code ever written. And I don't think I'm exaggerating in that uh, extent. What I'm talking about is Stuxnet. Can you summarize that story for us? Yes, I can. Um, I've studied that one as well. Um, one of the uh, one of the experts that actually dug into that uh, from McAfee, they called it the first weaponized virus. And what I mean by that, it it, it did more than just steal things. It actually went into the systems and um, destroyed equipment. And so this is Iran's SCADA system with their centrifuges. Exactly. Uh, Natanz, the nuclear facility. And at the time, uh, nobody was really claiming responsibility for it. But uh, I will say this, that uh, the guys at <clears throat> McAfee who did the forensics on it, they made some very uh, astute observations 
uh, one of which is is the code in there had very very little errors. Uh, and why is why that's important is because it was a signature that whoever did this had a whole lot of prior knowledge to the Siemens PLCs and uh, controllers. Hmm. Um, so still nobody has actually gone, come out and said, you know, we did it, but it's pretty well accepted that the U.S. and uh, the Israelis were behind it. But however, what it did was it introduced this weaponized code, meaning, hey, we can attack something. We can actually do physical damage. Now, uh, one of the things that I hear, and I've done work with a lot of government agencies in, uh, in both in the U.S. and in Canada and military facilities, and the first thing that I hear is, well, we're, we're totally air-gapped. And if you don't know what air-gapped means, it just means that it's not connected to the Internet. It's not connected to any other system. It's totally isolated. So, therefore, I should be okay. Well, Natanz was... Exactly that. It was totally air gap. There was no internet connection or anything like that. Um, so in this particular case, the theory of how it got in was uh, us all being technical and and just like the engineers at Natanz is the theory is that people, some entity was dropping USB or thumb drives in the parking lot. Well, stop and think about it. If you saw a thumb drive, what would you do, Millen? Well, I actually have seen this story play out before, so I know not to go exploring. But uh, yeah, most people, of course, are going to plug it right in and see if they can use it, if it's empty, if it's uh, yeah. if it's worthwhile to keep. Exactly, and that's what that's the theory behind what happened. Is somebody, one of the engineers, saw that in the parking lot, and they picked it up and they took it inside and they plugged it in. So once they got the uh, the virus was in there. I mean, and it, you know, it opened up, it probably said, you know, here's pictures of dogs or something or who knows what. Right. But it, it unleashed a virus. And what it did was, if you've seen the movie Ocean's Eleven, when they, you know, tapped into the video system and the guards were looking at it and it looked like everything was fine, but guys were running up and down the hall. That's kind of what Stutznet did is it sat back and watched and it recorded, a, you know, a good operation or a correct operation, let's put it that way. And then when it decided to uh, unleash itself to the operators who are sitting in a remote control room, they saw that the system was running completely fine. But what was actually happening were the centrifuges were spinning up and wide open, and then they would slam on the brakes and go the other way. And then it just, they just began to destroy themselves. So the the bigger picture here is, Hackers are curious and, and curious beast, and they also um, are looking for the path of least resistance. So what this kind of awoken in the hacker community is, hey, wait a minute, these systems are not watched over quite as tight as an IT system. And the more they begin to explore, then they begin to see things like, well, if I need to know anything about a UPS or an air handler or a York chiller or whatever, I can go online and download everything I need. And then you had the, the integrators who I used to be one, and we would create uh, remote access into these systems, but the remote access only really equated to a public IP 
and therefore um, getting to the system was not that hard. And then once you got to the system, all you had to do is look up default username and passwords or use crackers on the system, password crackers, because the other thing about these systems is like in an IT system, you know, if you go to your bank website and you fat finger your uh, password three times or five times, what happens? It locks yeah. you out. Yeah, man. Right. right. Well, a password cracker, what it does is it just bam, 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 and just keeps hitting the system over and over until finally it figures out the password. And it has literally a library of common uh, passwords. So if you don't have little things like that, like the auto lockout, then once a bad guy finds your system, he can just unleash a password cracker on it, and after a while, he'll get in. So it's not that hard. Given all of the growth and hacking activity, Intelligent Buildings has developed a NIST-based framework for defense. What's that look like? Well, what we did was, um, you know, NIST foundationally is 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 one of the most well thought out platforms or frameworks that that's out there. Uh, it's accepted widely uh, throughout, even in I've found it throughout the world in some of the places that I go. I mean, that's foundationally what like Australia and Canada even look at look at it. But what the NIST framework uh, does is there's five very basic, what they call functions, and they are uh, elegantly simple to understand. It's, the five are identify, detect, protect, respond, recover. And so what we did was we started working with the NIST framework and to be quite honest, though, it's not an exact fit because building control systems have their own nuances and, and quite frankly, it does they don't follow any kind of standard policy or procedure, obviously. So what we did was we took foundationally and if you think of the two befores and the sheetrock of the house, mm -hmm. that's what we did is we took that and that's what we use. And then we layered on top of it the rest of rest of the house, things that are specific to building control systems, backnet protocols, um, typical installations that we've experienced over the years. Because inside of our company, there's uh, more than just myself. There are a lot of old integrators, if you will, that have designed and implemented systems over the year and years. And, and they are the ones that know, as myself, of how to protect and destroy a control system. So anyway, long story short, is from there, we created BCS Camp, which is building cybersecurity. Um, and B BCS Camp takes those foundational components of NIST and has built it into a, a multi-pronged approach, one being what we call BSET, which is not unlike CSET, which if you look at ICSR, which is Industrial Control System Computer Emergency Response Team. CSET is uh, Cybersecurity cyber Evaluation Tool. Well, BSET is Building Cybersecurity Evaluation Tool. So it's taken those, yeah, so it's taken those things that we've learned, it's taken the things from CSET, which CSET is in the public domain, but we've layered on top of that a series of questions because that's what C CSET does is it asks you questions so that you can get a, uh, a pulse read of where you are, okay? Mm -hmm. But that's not the end. 
So the next step to that is, is once you establish, and we've got a, a grading scale that uses a, a back-end algorithms, not unlike what CSET is. So it's not like we go do an evaluation on your system and we guess at a score. When we run through BSET, you will actually have a score. And I will tell you that the industry right now is running Ds and Fs. We have run into some Cs. There's no hardly, well, one we have run into a B which that was a military base, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a uh, rule, the commercial real estate is run in Ds, in some cases F. But anyway, so we do that. The next step is we actually go in and look at the configuration of your systems, because one of the things in NIST is you know monitoring configurations. Nobody's been doing that for control systems. So we'll go in and we'll run scans against the network. We'll pull the files from the um, control systems, look at the configurations. And, you know, like I said earlier, where we were talking about the auto lockout, we'll look for, we have distinct things that we look at in the configuration files, things like is strong passwords enabled? Is auto lockout enabled? If it is enabled, what is the threshold of number of attempts? What is the lockout time? Um, we look at things like if we go in and we see that there are two users, but we know that 10 people work in facility engineering, then we record the number of people that work in facility engineering, and then we see that there's two users, and we ask, you know, we ask the questions. Uh, how many people actually use the system? And they say, well, eight of us do. Well, what that tells us right off the bat is there is um, people that are using the same user, and that's not a best practice. Um, but anyway, it goes on and on. There's a lot of things that we check, and we, sure. like I say, we pulled the um, scan the networks, and we ch- and uh, we look for public access. You know, how would the public get into it? And then we also go on what we call hunting and fishing exercises. And our fishing exercises are not like what you you get in a company where IT sends you a phishing uh, email that said you won something from Amazon. Our phishing is things that would be, that would trip up a facility guy. You know, like, um, one of the my favorites we've retired it so i'll 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 give it away (laughs) (laughs) is uh you know in buildings there's overtime air um people uh, the the tenants are used to being able to go into a portal and say you know my i would like to request air till nine o'clock at night of course they get billed for it and that kind of thing well we'll we've sent out phishing emails to the facility guys saying um We'll look on websites and find people's names that are actually in the building, and then we'll send the phishing email, and it'll say something like, hey, this this uh, link was provided to me for overtime air. I can't get it work. Can you click it and check it and see if it's working for you? Mm-hmm. And we do malform the emails enough that if you're looking, you can tell that it's a phishing expedition. So, yep. And I've run my mouth way too much. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's fascinating. I, as you're describing the BCS camp uh, defense approach that IB's developed, I'm curious if it's one size fits all. Um, for the, at this point in time, you know, if you'd asked me that question uh, uh, 18 months ago, I would have said no. Um, but here's the thing: experience has taught us because we've done now 
uh, I think last count, almost 2,000 assessments in 18 months. That tells you how busy I am. Yep. Uh, and it's not just me, obviously. I can't cover right. it. I got a team of guys that we go out and do this. Um, but anyway, so I would still say there's a degree of it that one size does not fit all. However, um, we are in the, you know, when you think about crawl, walk, run, the industry as a whole is still in the crawl mode. And even, again, not mentioning names, but there's some large organizations that I've worked with that have high levels of criticality, but they need to do the same things just to get started that some of the other companies that have don't have nearly the criticality. Does that make sense? In other yes. words, just getting those basic things like um, vendor policy. None of them have vendor policy. Like, for instance, if a vendor... Um, if, if you have, let's say, a company that has five employees that come service your building from one company, one of the things that we teach is that are in your, you should have vendor policy that says if they let go an employee, they need to notify you within, you know, eight to 12 hours that that employee is no longer there. Reason being is psycho uh, psychologically is if you think about it, if somebody gets fired, they're going to, and this is not me, this is studies have proven that within 24 hours, they're going to do something stupid if they're going to do something. Mm -hmm. So just little things like that, or the vendor has more control of your system than you do. They have control of remote access. You don't. They have a control of all the username and password. Well, if you were hiring an IT firm or you bought servers, would you have Dale administer your users? No. No. So that those are the very basic things that everybody needs to do. Now, then when you get into um, I do a lot of policy review is I had one company that said and rightfully so. I was really actually glad to hear him say this. The head guy, he said, look, we need policy, but I don't want 100 page, pages. I want two pages because we need to introduce this gradually. And I said, I hear you, because if you stop and think about facility guys, what are facility guys? They're fixers. They they figure out how to make things work. They figure out how to get around things, right? Well, if you overwhelm them, they're not really going to follow what you're asking them to do. You go to another company where <clears throat> they do have a higher degree of policy, then yeah, you can you can get a little more aggressive with your policy there. But that's where the one size does not fit all. Is sure. if you you gotta you gotta figure that out going in. Let me ask a obvious question: Why have buildings been asking for this service? That's a really good question. Um, two reasons. One is. Um, there is a um, the, the obvious, which is brand damage. Just in the just like in the case of phaseo mechanical, that, that's a that's an inst that's a particular instance where brand damage has done monetary damage to the company, and that's not something that you can actually really you know. People said, "Hey, can you help us figure out what our brand damage would be?" You can't really figure that out because you don't know you know what the repercussions are going to be. And at the point of brand damage. So anyway, the, the, the end user, the person that owns the building or owns a data center or has the, 
the responsibility of protecting the military base or so on and so forth has awoken to the fact that they are a target now. That's one reason. The other reason is I've actually seen that people are using it as a marketing tool. They're saying, come to my building because we do our due diligence. And so you're safe and, you know, we're going to protect the infrastructure of the building. Mm. So, so think about it like, you know, in the day when a building had uh, installed a, uh, security cameras and access control for their tenants. Well, not everybody was doing that. Well, when companies or buildings started installing that kind of stuff, then that kind of drew a certain clientele, right? Mm. Yep. So that's the two ends of the piece of the puzzle. But the bottom line to it is the people like what the job I used to have of being an integrator, they are not driving this. The manufacturers are not driving this it's the end user who's driving it and they have it's it's all business bottom line once you've got the audit done what happens next can you walk us through a little bit more of the high level steps of the of a project sure so um one thing i didn't i got to kind of address before we go there that i didn't cover earlier is uh when we're doing the assessment it's not all about a bad guy it's also the operational risk piece of it. And what I mean by that is now you have these building owners and everybody who are saying, hey, we got to get cyber secure. Oh, and by the way, we have an IT department and we're going to just inject them into the process. Well, what you can do is you can actually introduce operational risk. And what I mean by that is policy and procedure that IT use are in some in some cases can actually go in and, and, and screw up a system. So we, we, when we're doing our assessment, we're looking at the cyber risk, but we're also looking at the operational risk. Now to your question is, once we, we've gathered all our, our uh, information and we've done our site visit and we pull all the data, we go back and do an, an analysis, an analysis on it. Some of which, as I described earlier, is through you know algorithms and, and that type of thing to where you know it's easy enough you get the score on that but then when you get into the intangibles like um you know how's the system being used where is it located um you know whether what is the person what are the people because we interview people and we try to get a feel for what their concept of cybersecurity and and whether or not it's important or not those are those intangibles so we have to take that information all back and we'll create a report and we'll, we'll score. Now we do use some metrics. We try to make this as scientific as possible, mm -hmm. but um, we will score and produce a report that is, is focused around the BSET area, the uh, identification of what's on your network. I got to tell you a real quick story. I went, did the last assessment I did the guys I mean he was very helpful it was a vendor and he said he said I don't have a problem with you scanning my network he said but there's only four things there mm -hmm. and I said okay well that's fine and I said you know we're here for verification when I after I ran the scan I found 32 devices and yep. he just looked at me like what <laughs> and I said I said, that's that's the, what happens with these control systems is over years, people just plug things in. There was a Raspberry Pi 
in this network. Now, it was probably <laughs> there for innocent reasons, but yeah. do you remember a few weeks ago what, what happened with NASA? Uh, now, wasn't that also a thumb drive story, or am I confusing the two together? Now, well, it was a Raspberry Pi. Mm. Somebody, they, somebody had just innocently plugged in a Raspberry Pi. He was probably doing some little... <laughs> Some little, you know, he was project box kind Baker of thing. Project. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, a bad guy found it, and uh, that's how they got through to the network. So, um, I mean, I don't think that was the case here. I have no validation or whatever right. around that. But, I mean, it was interesting that literally a week after uh, the whole NASA thing, I find a Raspberry Pi on this network. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, so after we, we, we take those scans, we identify, we give them a, a full inventory of what's connected to their systems. We also, inside of that, um, you know, we're identifying operating systems. So obviously, if you have a Windows, um, uh, say, Windows XP, which a lot of systems are, older systems right. are running yeah. that, yeah. we have to, we score that. I mean, that's a definitive score. And we we bubble it up into an executive summary and then a detailed summary so that if somebody does want to dig into it, which hopefully they will, to uh, and then a, beside each one of the the findings is a remediation recommendation. Now, I'm when it depends on the value of the report that you're getting. Uh, if you're just wanting to get a, a temperature read of where you are, we're going to give you where you are and we're going to give you some basic recommendations. If you want to actually do outlines and projects that you ought to attack, we also have a tool to where we can score those based on uh, criticality, risk, lift, and money. So you can, by identifying those, it actually uh, helps bubble up which projects you need to address first. I'm only a quarter joking with my next question. <laughs> if my BMS is bricked by a hacker with a Bitcoin ransom, should I pay it? No. And here's the thing is if you, if you're going back to processes, if you're actually doing your, your processes like backing up your systems to a remote location, a control system, if they're, they're not going to get to the supervisory controllers because it, uh, ransomware doesn't work out there, but it does work on the Windows side. So think of it like this is if you get hit with <clears throat> if you get hit with ransomware, well, first off, you more than likely were doing something with your front end application server that you weren't supposed to be doing, like checking email or checking Facebook. And I see that all the time. Uh, if I can, a side note to that is, would you take your email server and go look at Facebook on it? No, IT is not going to let you. Um, so, but it's, it's the, the facility staff has gotten used to using that server as just another PC. So that's what usually happens. Anyway, if the system is being backed up to uh, on a regular basis and you have a really strenuous um, and uh, auditable, Yep. Yeah, thorough backup. What will happen is, and we've actually had one customer that was doing the right thing just recently. They got hit with ransomware, um, and they were back up and running in less than two hours, and they and they never paid a dime. 
Mm-hmm. And that's because they were able to get another machine. I mean, you know, machines are cheap now. Got another machine, took their backup, reinstalled the backup on the uh, front end. The backup was o- o- only a few days old, and they were up and running in less than two hours. That's great. Well, and, and the reason, the other reason I say do not pay it is because you don't, even when they unlock your files, you don't know what they left behind. Speaking of which, and as we wrap up here, do you have any basic best practices building operators should perform? Absolutely. So the first and foremost one is if you have a, your system is on a public IP, get it off a public IP. There are other solutions out there that you can get that will, that are not expensive that give you um, remote access. Right now, I mean, we've all probably heard of Shodan and Census. Those those two search engines are cataloging everything that's connected all the time. Well, just by getting it off the uh, behind a firewall and off a public IP, you now become blind to those two search engines and make it harder for you to find yourself. The next thing is just what we were just talking about is that front end application server is a front end application server. It is not a workstation. It is not your personal PC. Move it off the desk, unplug the keyboard, mouse and monitor, and don't let anybody do anything to that. Other than if you need to access it, the whole thing is with all of these different manufacturers is they have web interface. You access it through a web interface. The next thing is, is everybody must have a unique username and password. The reason being is for two, you can, you can, and you need to restrict access based on role. There's a thing in this called least privileges. And it, what it means is you only get those privileges that you need to perform the job that you're supposed to do. So everybody needs a unique username and password with their uh, specific roles and duties. And it, that way, if somebody leaves, you can kill that user. Um, if somebody does something they shouldn't have done, you have an audit trail to figure out who it was that did it. And then, um, you know, if you just do those three things, you'll be so far ahead of everybody else. I mean, you know, the whole story of the two guys running from the bear, right? I think so. Hope, hope, yes. <laughs> yeah, I do, but I'll let you, I'll let you tell it. If you, so think of it in terms you don't of have to outrun the bear, basically. Exactly. You just have to outrun the other guy. Well, remember I said bad guys are looking for the path of least resistance. Just like when somebody's driving through a neighborhood, they're looking for the house that has a sign on it that says security system. Well, I'm not going there. Even if there's not a security system, they're not going to chance it. Well, not exactly the same thing, but right. if, if if the world is blinded to your presence, you can't find it. If you not misusing that system, you can't get ransomware. I don't want to say can't, but your the probability of you getting it goes way, way down. Right. And then you're controlling your users, both your employees and your vendors. Okay, Fred, thanks for sharing all this with us. The work you're doing is important. What's the best way for folks to get in touch with you? They can absolutely go to our website, which is intelligentbuildings.com. We've got a cyber section in there. And if you click that, more than likely, I'm going to get the the notification and um, we'll be happy to talk to you. 
Of course, you can hit me up at fred.gordy at intelligentbuildings.com. And I do try to answer everybody that that um, sends me something. It's getting a little harder, but I will do my best. <laughs> Roger that. Thank you, Fred, for taking the time. This has been really interesting. Well, thank you, Melina. Again, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Okay, that's a wrap. For more episodes, go to the Gridium blog online or subscribe to Finely Tuned wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>